What's up, Freedom Chasers? We are going to show you some creative marketing strategies that are effective in this changing market. And we will also get into doing a better job of monetizing the leads that you're already generating. Our guest was a laid off electrician who has built a multiple seven figure a year business. And we're gonna jump into how he did it right now. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. All right, guys, meet Rick Howell with Howell Properties, LLC. It's a family-owned business in Toledo, Ohio. He's an experienced fix and flip, buy and hold, and in wholesale, as well as having a retail arm to his business. To top it off, he's also a coach and a mentor to investors with Level Up REI. Rick, we are super pumped to have you today. I'd love to jump right into your creative marketing strategies. Could you give me a top-down view of what you're doing in marketing in this changing market? And then we'll dig a little bit deeper. Awesome. Yep. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, what our marketing strategies look like, we kind of went back to the basics over the past couple of years. Um, we've got back into a lot of direct mail. So what we've done is we've taken the time to really watch the market change. And as, as a lot of people know, uh, there have been a lot of forbearances, which people in forbearance, which means have been unable to make their house payment or in a position to make their house payments over the past three years due to the pandemic. So what's happened is we've noticed a lot of people have taken advantage of that, whether they needed it or did not need it. That that's, that's not to, to decide, but, uh, now what's happening is the way that it was pitched to these sellers, they were going to be able to put the, the, the behind payments on the back end of the loan, which we've noticed is not factual. Uh, so what we've been doing is right after the January one mark hit and those forbearance periods went away, we started marketing a lot of tax tax liens and pre foreclosures. And here's a nugget. The reason we market the tax liens is because nine out of 10, 10 homes that have their property tax, nine out of 10 homes have their property taxes rolled in with their mortgage. So if they're behind on their property taxes, chances are, or if they're behind on their mortgage, chances are they're behind on their property taxes as well. Well, because the they weren't recognizing pre foreclosures over the past few years, you were still able to find out who was behind on their taxes. So that gave us an entire marketing strategy. So we started direct mailing to them immediately. Um, that's it. That's that's where we're at right now with that direct mail. And in addition to we we kind of we kind of triple stack our marketing. So what we'll, what we'll do, what we'll do is direct mail them. We usually send out uh, probably about a thousand to two thousand postcards every ten days, three times a month. We're getting a, a full mailer, and we do that for five months from now, from January one until May. While that's happening, we are text messaging the entire same list, so that there we're. we're we're recognizable to the seller when it comes across. And then from beyond there, the last three months of the marketing campaign, we'll cold call that same list. And so far, so good. It's been working well. That's great. I love the multiple layered approach that you're doing there. So you're hitting them with the mailer, you're hitting them with the text. And then a couple months later, once they're already familiar with you, that's when they get the cold call. So, I mean, I'm sure oftentimes it's not nearly as cold. Um, right. I'm loving that. Yep. They're, so they're, they're already warmed up a little bit. And what happens is, so normally the reason, the reason it's no longer cold is because they recognize the name and what, what we're a fan of and what, what we, what we learn and what we teach people is to dominate your local market, right? The, during the past three years, the, the virtual wholesaling and virtual investing and all that stuff got very big, which I'm, I'm all for it. It just has never been a fit for me. But when you're, when you're marketing 
and, and trying to really capture your local market and you can present yourself as the local expert and you can, you're right here from this hometown, your revenue is, is going to, or your, your deal flow is going to increase because people can look and, and relate to you that you're really from, from the neighborhood. Absolutely. So you said it's a five month mailing campaign. Are you yes. mailing the same letter five months or is it a varying different types of letters? That's a really good question. So what we found works in our market is we, we stick to postcards. We keep it simple to, to, to good old, to good old, uh, good old postcards right here. And the only thing different is we do it. We do a five touch campaign. And the only thing different is we change colors. We found that pink, blue, and yellow. So we rotate colors every month and we just rotate the colors and send the same postcard. Love it. Keeping it simple, it works. If it works, it works, man. Keep, keep awesome. it simple. Get them, the, get them the information. Show them how you can help. And what we found is this whole marketing, this whole marketing uh, profession, uh, real estate is, is, is the widget. Real estate investing is actually a marketing business, right? So you're, without the marketing, you have nothing else. Your, your real estate, your house is just a product going down the assembly line. So what I found is when you can figure out, find a way to help and people out there that need your help and get them the direct message they need to help them, Everybody wins. Create win-win situations. Everybody, you, you solve the problem for the seller. You can also increase your revenue going down the field. So that's that's kind of the end goal. Absolutely. And 100% agreed. The more you lean into win-wins, it not only leads to easier business because it tends to be the seller likes to work with you. They tend to enjoy your company a little bit more 100%. when it feels like they're winning too. And on top of that, they are more opt to give your name out if they know somebody else that's selling, because, you know, a lot of people, they're just trying to make as much money as possible. But when you focus on situations where everybody wins, it ends up snowballing a lot faster than when, you know, you let greed kick in. Quickly, um, quickly. This is wonderful stuff. So you wanted to talk about monetizing these leads as well. Yeah. So I'd love to yeah. talk about the strategies that you're using to make sure that you're squeezing every little drop out of those leads. Okay, so when we first got started in real estate, everybody wanted to be the wholesaler. We all, our whole team wanted to be, we wanted a wholesale, right? That was the, wholesaling was cool. And then we realized that that became a never ending job. And as we were looking through this lead that comes across our desk, I knew that we were missing something because there wasn't enough spread, say, to get a wholesale deal. I knew there was many different avenues within the real estate game. I just don't know what they were. So eventually we evolved into the fix and flip. Uh, we've built an entire fix and, fix and flip uh, arm in our business using all private money lenders. We've never used a dime of our own money on the fix and flips. Then we evolved into a little more as we went through our journey, uh, we got into the buy and holds. So now we're able to maybe not be able to flip the property to make a, 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 big, a big split on the back end, but we're able to keep the all in price under the 75% do a Burr model, a refinance, where we use private money, renovate the home. When we get completed, turn, turn it into over to a lender, do a refinance. And now we've, we've, we've essentially done the Burr model. So that turned into three outlets. And then we realized another one in our local market. Now this may work in some or may not. I would highly recommend if you have auctions in your market, if you have auctions, get with your local auctioneer and find out how you can work together. And here's why. Number one, Auctioning is, is if you can refer your leads to an auctioneer, what you're going to do is drive the whole city full of investors to that front yard and let the auctioneer do the work, auction it off, and then split the profit on the back end with him. Now, full disclosure, in some markets, you need to check with your local real estate laws and see what your real estate laws are. In Ohio, 
that was the main reason I got licensed was because I could take referrals fee referral fees off of referring leads to real estate agents. So I would highly recommend before doing that, double check your your, your local laws to make sure you're you're good to go there. So now we've we've wholesale, we do the fix and flips, we do the buy buy and hold rental properties, we work with auctioneers, and last and not not least, you want to build great relationships with real estate agents. Here's how you do it. Leads that come across your desk, where nine times out of 10, the person wants too much money and that's completely fine. It's best to network and build relationships with realtors in your local market and create a pipeline of how, when you're on the phone with the seller, you can say, I'm sorry, ma'am or sir, unfortunately, this one doesn't qualify for our cash out program, but I do have a rock star real estate agent that specializes in your neighborhood. If you would like, I can make a connection there and they can talk you through that. And then boom, the handoff happens. You can negotiate whatever split you'd like off of that commission. And now you just created another revenue stream of deals that you're doing anyways of, of, of marketing that's happening, regardless of whether you do it or don't, you can really make a substantial income off of that. Absolutely, man. would like to dive into this auction concept a little bit. So I'd say yeah. there's a, um, a plethora of different auction availabilities out there, right? You have auction.com. There's like Zoom yeah. and Hudson and Marshall on top of that the sheriff auction, and you could also do an auction in the MLS. So I'm curious yes. which of those you're you're talking about, or are you talking yeah. about a multitude of them? Well, the, what we have experience with is just auctioneers in our local market, right? So we've never used like the big auction.com sites or anything like that. What? Now you just mentioned something. I don't see why that couldn't be an option too. Just haven't had experience in that. In our local market, there's a few auctioneers. They've just started auction businesses and that's what they do. They just strictly do auctions and they network with real estate agents. Every city is different um, on, on how they do it. But most, an auctioneer, an auction process is a great tool, a great resource for realtors, real estate agents, because often they, if they don't want to work with an investor, they want to drive a lot of investors to one place, do an auction. So that when, number one, or so by connecting with an auctioneer, feeding them some deals, taking a small portion of the commission. Now you've built a relationship there. And who are the auctioneers connected to? Every real estate investor in town. Everybody. <laughs> so so it all so it's just it's just a great it's just a great relationship. You know, if you're if you're auctioning if you have a hundred thousand dollar house and uh it's gonna and it's gonna it's gonna auction it's not it's not low enough say it say it auctions for sixty. What they do is they put a ten percent buyer premium, meaning if somebody buys it for sixty, it's gonna actually cost them sixty six. And that's, that's the commission is the six grand. You divide that right in half, half comes to you, half goes to the auction company, you go do the next deal. Seller got taken care of, everybody wins. Absolutely, man. So if I were to try to find one of these auctioneers, um, what would be the steps I would take? If I was trying to find an auctioneer in a local market, I would get with your real estate agent. Uh, often real estate agents, especially the bigger, the bigger brokers in the cities that I found have auction companies that are affiliated right with the real estate broker because the auctioneers have to be licensed as well. So they'll be affiliated with a, with a real estate broker. So I'd start with your bigger brokerages in your town and then, and then work from there. Perfect. Um, man, that was straight to the point and dense and super, super instructive, Rick. Um, let's, let's just pivot here and start talking some stories, man, because um, on your form, you told us that your biggest success was a deal where you lost $250,000. Now I could certainly understand the context of that because I've lost some money too, um, but I would love to get your point of view on it. All right, here's, here's the story. The, the $250,000 was collective over the deal, right? So here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a good nugget that I hope everybody can use immediately. I had had a work on it daily is what shiny object syndrome, right? So when I first started 
getting heavy into the real estate business, I, uh, uh, I was, I was presented with an opportunity in another market to, to be part of a rehab project. My role of the rehab project on that was to provide the funding with some of our lending. So I, I agreed to that. And what we did was we created a three-way partnership between our lender, the other investor and myself. Well, we went through the process, we purchased the house. And what I didn't know was that the investor that we had partnered up with, uh, whether he did or didn't um, have the experience that was portrayed to me, um, he didn't follow the, the necessary steps from point A to point B that we agreed upon to get the, to get the flip done. And where the main thing, where the main, where it went sideways was right out of the gate. So what we teach and what we do in our business is when you buy a home, you always inspect it prior to no matter what, no matter what the condition is, it doesn't matter if the house has fallen down, inspect it. And here's why we didn't inspect it because the, the assumption was we were just going to renovate this thing. Well, what happened was when we started to renovate it, here comes the city inspector. And what they found was that the house was built on two foundations. So a house that was going to be a rehab project, we had no way of knowing that because we didn't inspect it. So the house that we were going to renovate turned into a full scrape, which means you knock the whole thing down, knock it, clear the lot and do a new build, which took our marketing costs or our, our, our rehab budget. It was no longer rehab budget. Now it's a new build and we were upside down immediately. Well, with that, unfortunately, because the money was lost right out of the gate within the first month of doing the deal, uh, the gentleman that was uh, responsible for the construction aspect of it from getting it to point B from a point A to point B, um, lost all motivation. So it became a three-year wrestling match, getting this thing to the finish line between myself, our lending partner, and him, which all of us, one of us was down in Southern Ohio, one of us was in the city of Indianapolis, and here I was in Toledo, Ohio. So we were all trying to collectively drag this thing across the finish line, knowing that it was a loser. And at the end of the day, uh, we all had to bring I, right around the $50,000 mark out of pocket to get the deal closed. So there was 150 there. And then we lost, it was probably more than 250 when you consider the, pro, the profit proceeds. So we lost three years of misery and uh, uh, all, all, every, three years of life and an additional $200,000 to $300,000. Yes. All because, jump, here's, and here's the takeaway from it. I was presented an opportunity to make more money, less deals in a different market, where in my market here in Toledo, Ohio, we try to focus on doing the, our constraints are right around 30,000 30, plus is what we like to make per flip. Well, when I was presented this opportunity, the, 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 the thought was we were all going to make 50 to 100 each on this big thing, right? And uh, so immediately I was like, wait a minute, one flip would be like making three flips in my local market. Let's do it. Horrible idea. So now I highly recommend you stay in and do deals in your backyard, or at least with what you have control, total control over the rehab process while you're going from point A to point B until you have the high level experience to be able to do more. Great advice, man. I totally agree with that. Get started local at least. I mean, you could scale virtually if you truly want to. Um, but Typically speaking, there's probably enough business in your backyard anyways, if you get really good at it and you could really get good at the referral things. If you stay local, as you mentioned, yeah. if you keep it local, you can become known in your market. So, I mean, it's a different ball game entirely. Um, so I'm curious over this three year period, you lost about $250,000. Obviously yeah. you lost right on the front end because you had to demo, right demo the, the house, right? 
Um, where did you lose the most money though? Because obviously you lost due to holding costs and other things. I mean, you use private money, you said, so that's probably a ton of interest you accrued. Um, yeah. So just curious if you know off the top of your head, where, what was the biggest loser on that? Well, the biggest loser was <laughs> all of it. So the job was supposed to be a six month flip. Okay. And it literally turned into a two and a half, I give you the exact months. I just can't remember, but over two and a half years debacle from point A to point B at a 10% interest rate of, I believe the number was in the 300 range of money needed to do the project. I'd have to look all this up, but right about the 300 range, cause we were going to sell it in the ballpark for five. So that's where, that's where the spread was. So the majority of it would have been, we lost all of the 200 plus profit right out of the gate. Um, interest, the interest went, uh, so six months. So that's two, three, four, five times longer than what it was supposed to. In addition to having to build an entirely new house rather than renovating what was already there. Yeah. Those problems tend to compound sometimes. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm curious, how did you keep a level head during this whole process? It was, it was, it was very, uh, it was very, you go through a lot of emotions and I was around the right network. Um, at that time I was, I was traveling the country and coaching and teaching real estate investors with another coaching company. So I was always around people that were in the business doing the business. I was always around the right mindset people, uh, pretty much a, a lot of uncompensated therapy with, with people in my network, uh, and, and advice, um, of people that have been there. The, the greatest thing I could say is. I had always heard when we first started doing more high volume of deals that there's going to be a loser. You're going to experience this. You're going to experience that. Well, at that point, uh, we had been investing for, I don't know, maybe 10 years and we didn't have any like major losses and everybody, I had always heard that it happens. It's part of it. Well, that was my experience, but I will say this, the, um, going through that experience took our business from, from here to hear. And the reason that is, is there is no deviation now from what we do. We operate our business like a, a, every rehab, every rental, every product that we do any construction on is treated just like a product going down the assembly line. And with, with, and the reason it's that way is because of that mistake that was made. I swore that would never happen again. That put our family in a bad place. I can only imagine, man. Was there any other nuggets of wisdom that you got from that besides kind of staying in your backyard and kind of repeating the assembly line process because the beauty of the assembly line process in particular to the fix and flip model is you could buy things in bulk and save a ton of money because you're reusing the same stuff you know like one of my first mentors said you know if you want to do a house perfectly to what the market wants right now you just look at new construction um yeah, <laughs> so yeah and he, he, yeah that was, that was like the best advice i ever had because they spend thousands of money on market research and guess what yeah. you can just rip off and duplicate exactly what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious if, if you pulled in anything else from that. Yeah. So the, the my, yes, um, I would say vetting people and understanding, understanding that who you're working with and understanding that often in, in this industry and not just in this industry in, in, in life, uh, a lot of people are trying to leverage with maybe not the best extent intentions. And a lot of people that may want to partner up with you and do business with you, uh, may not have the experience that they say they have. So my my thing would say, if you're going to do business with somebody else, if you're going to create a, a, a partnership of any sort, just make darn sure that you know who you're who you're getting involved with, and that 
everybody is in alignment and moving the same direction. If everybody, if you're, if you create a partnership in a business and everybody isn't in alignment with the same goals, the same values, the same code, uh, it's probably not the best fit to do a partnership. Absolutely. 100% agreed. And, and those contractors and all sorts of people, they love to inflate their numbers. There's actually a lot of contractors out there that will underbid a property intentionally just yes. to get the job. Um, so I strongly encourage people to lean into other investors and referrals if you could get their contractors. You know, a lot of people are very protective of their contractors, but sometimes yeah. there's some really good contractors out there. Um, another thing I like to tell people is um, to reach out to REO brokers and find out what contractors Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are using because typically they're going to be pretty good. Um, that's, that's a good one. Awesome good stuff. Yeah. 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 So um, I wish I asked this one earlier. It kind of fit a little bit better, but you're also a realtor and you mentioned you do yeah. a lot of referral fees, but on the pre-call you were, you were talking about some listings. So I'm curious when you're talking with a seller, do you ever go for the listing yourself or do you tend to refer it off? Not anymore. Uh, I used to, and it became a, a never ending job. Um, so now what we do is if I'm, I, I, every time we sit down with the seller appointment, we try to offer three different solutions. We offer a cash out, a cash out solution. We offer an owner finance solution. And then if it, the, the goal is always to try to bring them the, the highest bottom line to solve their need. And if it makes, if it makes sense, then we refer it out to an agent and we just take a portion of that referral fee, usually 50% because how, how we add value to the agent is though we're taking 50% of the commission, we also, we also position it to where usually when somebody does a real estate deal with somebody that goes in there, that's going to go in their CRM, their, their, uh, their, their software and build relationships and, and bring deals off of that deal they already did by giving them a great experience. So we don't care about any of that. We just care about getting the, the seller's needs solved on the front end. Absolutely, man. I'm 100% with you. You know, the investing game, you have far more control over what goes on in, in comparison to the listing game. So right. I prefer that because <laughs> you're, you're reactive to the market as a listing agent. And, you know, there's there tends to be a longer time frame, whereas an investor, you're the wholesaler. You could either find the buyer or you can't find the buyer, right? It's all up to you. If you mess up, it's your fault. Um, yeah. And same 100%. thing with flips and things of that nature. Um, very cool stuff, man. Um, so you also said you wanted to talk about the changing market. So I know we talked yeah. about the shift in your marketing strategies, which is fantastic. Yeah. But like, where do you think the market's going? And, and I'll caveat this, you know, nobody knows. There's no crystal ball here. So let's just get your thoughts on, you know, what you're projecting. And, you know, we're not going to hold you to it. <laughs> okay. Here's, here's, this, this is just my opinion off educated with, with, our, with our team. And when I say team, my, my agent that sells all of our houses uh, is the local president of our, our real estate or our, our realtor association in our market, right? So we're, he's tied into the national news. I'm tied into him and we talk about this every week. So here's, in my opinion, um, you're starting to see the financial pain um, for whatever reason it's been cost is really starting to increase, which means uh, the, the financial struggles are, are happening and we're seeing more pre-foreclosures. We're seeing a lot more auctions. Uh, there's a backlog um, in, in this market. Anyhow, there's a backlog of homes that were supposed to be in some sort of a tax foreclosure or a tax auction, foreclosure auction. There's a backlog miles long because they, the, when during the pandemic, all of these courthouses and the government things, they were all closed down. So business kept happening. They were just not able to, to close the deal. So there's just backlogs and backlogs of, uh, of, of properties that are waiting to be auctioned off. That's one thing. And what I see is now the uh, you're seeing a lot more a shift to where the, um, the, 
the cash offers and all that are still there. They're just not as, as many since the interest rate change. And you're seeing a lot more FHA buyers, which is a government backed loan, a little, little more challenging to get to the finish line, a little more higher, uh, higher criteria to do a deal. Um, but the, the, a lot of people that were using those FHA loans over the past three years haven't been able to really participate in the market because the conventional and the cash buyers were, were coming out of the woodwork. So now I know that a lot of people, you watch the media and everybody's predicting this crash and all that. I don't see it at all. I see that the, uh, I see the opportunity for people to buy is, is, is here. I see that the people that were not able to buy for the past three years because they couldn't compete with a cash offer that was paying 20, 30% over list price. I just see the, it's a, it's a distant, distant, it's a shift in buyers that are going to be able to participate in the deal now. I don't foresee a crash at all. I, I don't, I see, I see an opportunity for people that were unable to buy prior to able to buy again. Um, haven't seen a dip in uh, uh, prices yet. Um, we've seen that the, the things are still selling at list price as long as they're listed properly. I mean, you make sure you got the, the, the value of the neighborhood. Um, in, in the past uh, 90 days, we haven't seen much over list price offers but people are still buying houses. We just locked one up the first week of January, right after the new year, uh, was on the market a day, had uh, 11 or 12 showings, seven offers, and it was right at, is right at list price. So um, majority of those on that experience were FHA. Absolutely, yeah, the FHA buyers had a ton of buyer fatigue last year too, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. because the cash offers and the conventional offers, if you're in a multiple offer situation, their realtor is gonna tell them, Go cash or conventional. This FHA one, you might have to pay more on the repairs. I mean, I'm a realtor, I know. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you go with the safest offer. So, but the a lot of these FHA people, they just they they gave up over the course of last year. Um, I agree mm -hmm. with you. They're going to come back because yeah. now they have opportunity that they didn't have last year. We're certainly in an interesting situation. In my market, we're kind of in a low inventory kind of low demand um, comparative to the inventory, at least, because we're like 1.5 month supply. It should still be screaming seller's market. It's not right. quite screaming, but you know, as you said, houses are still selling. Um, right. It's certainly an interesting situation. I know foreclosures in the state of Illinois and Chicago are like tops in the country. So like, we'll see what that does to my personal market. And I've also noticed go. car repossessions are up and credit lines are starting to get reduced. So those are kind of things that I've been told are indicators of you know, a, a downturn in the market, but we'll see what happens. What I know, no matter what happens, there's money to be made. You simply yes. shift your strategy to whatever sure. the market is now. And yeah. if the market were to completely crash, it's also an amazing buying opportunity. So nothing to be worried about either way. I'm, I'm not a doom and gloom type of guy. Um, I, I agree. So Rick, you are passionate about creating a lifestyle by design. So you were a laid off electrician and look at the business that you created. So if anybody listening right now is perhaps in the trades or in a regular job, let's talk about how you built your lifestyle by design. So where, where it all started was as an electrician in 2009, I was working on a job at a power plant. And at this point in time, I was still coaching baseball. I have a son I was coaching sports. And uh, we were on an overtime job, and I'll never forget it. This now I was a foreman, but I had the superintendent that would uh, every single day I'd have to leave early, about two or three hours early for a baseball game. And the same thing said to me every single time. And what that was was, Rick, if you can't stay the full twelve hours, ten hours, whatever it was, 
uh, there's a thousand guys on the book that could stay. Well, at that time, it was in the downturn of 2010 and there was the layoff list was a mile long. So if you got laid off, you're going to be off for probably two years. And he said that to me every single time I had to leave early coach a baseball game. And the feeling in my gut was just like, it was control, like totally felt controlled. Uh, make a long story short, a gentleman on the job that was flipping houses at a time on the side, just a, just a, a flipping houses here and there, handed me a book. And uh, as you know, most people have the same story when it comes to this, uh, the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He handed me Rich Dad, Poor Dad in 2009, 10, somewhere in there. And I read it. And it, and, it, and, it, and it put a fire in my brain that uh, changed the trajectory of my entire life. So I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I realized I wanted these assets. I wanted assets. That's what I've heard about. What's that? I, need, I need these asset things, right? That's the, that's the freedom. So as we expanded uh, in, in the education realm, I started just researching um, real estate. And of course, learned about wholesaling and all these different exit strategies, but really didn't have a profession of any of them. So being construction workers, uh, a friend of mine and myself, we did what the book said to do. And we went out and put equity lines on our personal houses. And we used equity lines of credit to buy a house. Now, mind you, we didn't know how to analyze a deal. We didn't know how to check an ARV. We never heard the term ARV before. We just know that this house looked cheap and the realtor said we could sell it for this. That's all we knew at that point in time, right? So now you got two, two electricians trying to figure out how to flip a house. And all we knew how to do was electrical work. So we decided it was a good idea to use every laid off tradesman we could find off the job site to put this house back together. So make a long story short, we ended up getting the house done and uh, actually put it on the market and had the potential to profit about 40 grand, 35 grand on our first flip. Well, that didn't happen because I learned that I had the wrong realtor in place because we had an offer. Uh, $15,000 under list price the first day, which still would have got us at about 25 to 30K. And um, she said, don't take that. It's too low to come down. It's too much to come down on your first offer on the first day. So it sat there for six months. We ended up selling it for 99K and uh, made just a couple bucks. And that, and, that, and that was it. So from there, I thought it was a good idea to get my real estate license. So now I'm an electrician. Uh, we're trying to flip houses and I'm going to throw a realtor in the mix. So it was just, it was talk about shiny object syndrome. All I knew was I was hell bent on finding a way to produce additional income to where if I went to work tomorrow, I didn't have to be afraid to lose my job. That was the bottom line. I didn't have to be afraid to get laid off because I knew that I'd be able to make money somewhere else. So I achieved that. I was just absolutely miserable doing it. So fast forward to 2000 and 2016, we did that from for quite a few years, actually, just, just dragging jobs to the finish line like construction guys. Well, then it finally happened. I hired a contractor that had been doing work for us for a very long time. And I did the, the number one rule that you don't do with contractors. And that was I gave him money up front. I gave him money up front. It's a substantial amount. I think it's 14 or 15 grand. And he ghosted me. He disappeared. And that was the first time I had ever had anybody steal from me. When that happened, I went through some emotions that I felt uh, I felt like one thing I wanted to go knock on his front door. And the other thing was I wanted to press all these charges and all this stuff. And uh, I, I talked to my attorney and they basically just said, you can do this, this or this, but it's going to cost you more money. You need to just chalk it up as a business loss and move on. That led me to a, my first like networking event with a bunch of high level real estate investors. And I learned what a coach was. And a friend of mine asked me if I had ever heard of this coaching program, and I hadn't. 
And uh, he said, and that, that, I mean, full disclosure, that coaching program was called Fortune Builders. And I didn't even know what any of that was. But all I knew was my friend Derek went from uh, a, a, a project manager engineer to flipping 30 to 50 houses a year down in Columbus. And I said, I want to do that. So I hired my first coach, right? And when from hiring a first coach, that that's what skyrocketed the business because now I was being taught systems, processes, how to build an actual business rather than being a, a construction worker trying to flip a house. So from 2014, August or April 11th, 2014, I took a layoff from my electrical world, became a full-time realtor slash investor doing both. From 2017 to present day is when I hired my first coach. We've taken that business and 10X'd it, uh, started our coaching program. And now it's very passionate about showing people what we've learned on how they can take their business from a, a miserable, never-ending job to systemizing it and creating a, a sellable business. Great stuff, man. Thank you for sharing your story. And I love that you rolled in your coaching program into it because that's exactly where I was going next. Nice. If the audience wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to do so? Number one, and kind of give us an idea what you teach in your program at the same time. Got it. So the best way to find me is either on Instagram. It's uh, just my name, Raquel REI. Uh, also, also on Facebook, same name, Raquel REI. And what we teach, uh, we, we teach all aspects. So right from where the, from where the students at to where they're going to end up is the, the the goal is to help them level up i've noticed that everybody has got a different they're in a different place of their journey what we're experiencing is starting from the very beginning with mindset all the way to owning rental properties so what we do is we start off by teaching them how they're going to think how they're going to act the people they're going to hang out with at the beginning and then we and start with their goals. So we start with their goals, find out what they want to do in real estate. What is their what is their why? What is their their wish? And then we build a system and a process, the education around that. So our model is our instruction plus your action equals your education, right? Because regardless of of I've learned over the years of no matter how much you learn, how many YouTube videos, how many coaching, yada yada yada, no matter what you learn in this or in any other industry. It's all about the action that the individual takes to get them across the finish line, right? So our instruction plus their action equals the education they receive. Absolutely. Your mindset, number one, typically that's like the biggest hurdle for most people. And then it's action and effort. As long as you could get those three things right, you're going to find success eventually. 100%. Well, Rick, this has been absolutely fantastic, man. Um, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And most importantly, sharing some very actionable strategies that are on the front end. Um, and to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. So you're out there and he just gave you a marketing strategy that is working in the changing market. So go out there and utilize that strategy. Do so within the next seven days. Tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one.